Welcome to Rona. My name is Frank. I'm one of the pastors. I'm glad you're here. Um, hold on a minute. A little hot. A little hot. Still humming, Kevin. There you go. That's better. I'll talk louder if I need to. All right. Over 2,000 years ago, Jesus left the Mount of Olives. He said he'd come back, but he promised a gift. Well, actually, he promised two gifts. One, he said, I'm going to give you a guide. I'm going to give you the spirit of God, the spirit that is God. He'll be with you at all times. He'll teach you all things. I promised you I wouldn't leave you alone. I'm not going to. I'm going to be with the Father. I'm sending the Holy Spirit. And then he said, and oh, by the way, My human form will be replaced by my spiritual form. Second thing he said is, the Holy Spirit's gonna be bringing a spiritual fruit basket. Not only would we be receiving God, but we'd receive certain gifts from God. Gifts that Paul called the fruit of the Spirit. Heavenly things that had not been seen on earth, now brought to us to use until Jesus returns. But he didn't give us real fruit because we honestly didn't do real well with that in the garden, right? I mean, so he gave us spiritual fruit. He said, okay, I'm gonna give you fruit. I'm gonna give you things that are benefits or blessings, things that will help you walk in the spirit, things that will help you become a closer and closer relationship with the Holy Spirit. And he said, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, Against such things, there's no law, he says. That's what we've been studying in this series. We've taken week by week, and we've learned that these fruits are available, but only to those who develop and invest their time in a relationship with the Holy Spirit. They have nothing to do with your salvation. They're icing on the cake. But they do define the quality of the cake you experience. You see, you have a choice as a believer to surrender to Christ, receive salvation, and walk on this planet by yourself. Or, God says, I'm going to put my spirit in you. And if you'll allow him, if you'll abide in him, if you will spend time with him, he will teach you all things. He'll bring to your mind what you need to know. He'll guide you through this earth. You can live on a fallen flesh earth planet with spiritual guide with, with a spirit leading you and guiding you. The more time you spend with the Holy Spirit, the more time you spend alone with God, the more this fruit gets developed, the more people see in you love and joy and peace and those things. Today, we're going to look at the spiritual fruit of peace. It's my favorite because peace is the fruit that God used to bring me home. I saw it in someone. I saw somebody, I met somebody whose circumstances were out of control, but they had such a sense of peace about it. I couldn't believe it. I thought they were delusional. 
I thought they were in denial. But yet they told me everything that was going on. They knew what was happening. They said, it's going to be okay. And I'll never forget, she looked me straight in the eye. She said, my God is in heaven. He does as he pleases. I remember walking out of that room going, look, I don't know what she's on. But I want it. I don't know what is in her life, but I don't have it. There is a sense of peace about her that, that is incredible, and that's what I need, that's what I want, that's what I've spent my whole life looking for. And so I went to her and I said, where does that peace come from? She said, my Savior, Jesus Christ. And I said, oh, it's not what I wanted to hear. My parents have been saying that for years. I do not want to hear that. But then I saw somebody else that had the same peace. They had the same Jesus Christ. I had lived for years in torment, literal torment. If you've never struggled with anxiety and worry and fear, you have no idea what I'm really talking about. I'm talking about being calm on the outside and raging on the inside, not being able to sleep, not being able to stop thinking about things, not being able to stop worrying, not being able to start being concerned about what might happen. I was trying to be God, but I was failing miserably. I was under so much pressure to keep everything under control. I thought if I could just keep things under control, I'd limit the damage. I tried to grow a control I never actually had. Hmm. You ever felt the pressure of life? I mean the pressure of life. Have you been there? Maybe you're there right now. Maybe the weight of what you're going through just seems like too much to bear. You can't stand up underneath it. You don't have the strength and it feels like it's gonna crush you. When you see people going through pressure, you can see it in their eyes, can't you? You can just look at somebody and go, oh no, something's wrong. And it seems to me that there are two types of pressure that we go through. The first comes at once and just seems to get dumped on us. A situation hits you and you immediately know it's heavy. You're fired from your job. Spouse wants a divorce. Someone you love dies. The bank claims your home. Somebody's abused. The doctor's report is not good. These instant weights hit and they hit hard and they hit quick and you know they're gonna bear down on you. But the second kind of pressure is more subtle. It comes from circumstances that seem to have less weight. Any one of them wouldn't be too much to bear, but they all start to add up. Maybe the initial weight of a circumstance wasn't so bad, but you start carrying it for a long time. Psychologists call this stress contamination. One thing just building on another. They become overwhelming, overdue bills, constant overbearing bosses, fussy children, car repairs, plumbing issue, the stock market fails. These little things, okay by themselves, seem to add up, and they add up a lot more in our mind than they do in our life. They begin to rob us of the things that God had planned for us. We feel ourselves struggling under the weight of life, and it seems at times it's more than we can handle. At the gym, I occasionally see someone struggling with too much weight. Not me. No, no. Someone else. 
foolish enough to pick up something really heavy. And you see them over there on the bench press and they're struggling and that weight is not going up and they're making all kinds of guttural sounds. Too much weight and they yell for a spotter. And somebody comes over and takes some of the weight for them. The weight never changes. The spotter comes and helps because the weight's too heavy. They're no longer carrying that weight alone. Take a moment and just think about the weights that you're carrying right now. In a room this size, people on the internet, the weights can be enormous. There are things in our lives that are causing pressure or stress or anxiety, and my guess is that you've been wrestling with a situation. You wanna experience peace, but you can't find it. You've likely done what we all do with the spiritual fruit. We try to make it happen ourselves. We try to see the spiritual fruit as a to-do list. We think we can achieve love, joy, peace, and all those things if we're just self-empowered with enough determination. We see it as our fruit, something we develop, something we have to bring to the table. We, we see the fruit of ourselves because we worship ourselves. I don't need God, I can fix this myself. No, you can't. So rather than turning to God for help, we look to ourselves. Usually we start out at a bookstore in the self-help section. It's not hard to find, it's the largest section in any bookstore and the most people are there. Amazon has over 100,000 books about peace. 100,000 books. Almost all of them teach the self-help approach. Find your peace, they say. Look within yourself. But peace is elusive. Actually, it's non-existent in our world. You can't find it because it's not here. You would think people would realize that after, I don't know, 90,000 books? We've written 90,000 books and we haven't had the one that works yet. Let's write another 10,000. You think we'd realize that there's no such thing as peace on earth. So when we don't find peace at the bookstore, we go next door. We walk into the pharmacy. We look for peace through chemicals. We have an insatiable appetite for medicines. Thank you, it's how I make my living. <laughs> Fastest growing religion in America. The use of chemicals to try to find peace is one of the largest sects that is known. Antidepressants, anti-anxiety meds, drugs that speed you up, drugs that slow you down, meds that wake you up, meds that put you to sleep, meds that allow you to work night shifts, chemicals that numb pain, but you just need more and more meds, more and more larger doses. You need the newest drug. If the pharmacy doesn't have it, you go next door to the nutrition store and you try herbs and vitamins and teas. And if the nutrition store doesn't work, there are bars and liquor stores. And if that doesn't work, there are chemical street vendors, chemical pharmacists on the street who can try to help you. Joseph Califano Jr., the former U.S. Secretary of Health, Education and Welfare, former chairman of the National Center for Addiction and Substance Abuse, in his book, High Society, How Substance Abuse Rages America, says this, 
Chemistry is chasing Christianity as the nation's largest religion. Indeed, millions of Americans in times of personal crisis and emotional and mental anguish who once turned to priests, ministers, and rabbis looking for keys to the heavenly kingdom now go to the physicians and psychiatrists who hold the keys to the kingdom of pharmaceutical relief or of drug dealers, bars, or liquor stores. Now, I'm a medical doctor, and I'm not saying that there's no role for medicines. Please don't walk out of here hearing that. The medical treatment of depression and anxiety can be an absolute godsend and a gift from God. But my concern is when the pressure in our life begins to amp up, our first response is not to go to God. What we ought to be doing is getting on our face going, Holy Spirit, you're my helper, help me now. And instead, we want to go to places where we're under control, where we can read the right book, we can take the right nutrition, we can take the right drink. When the pressure in life amps up, we look less and less towards God and more and more towards ourselves, books, other people, medicines, and drugs. It's not that they're bad, it's that they're not first. We put our trust in the latest guru, the latest book. Try to find peace in a pill or maybe peace in a drink. Or maybe it's food. There are numerous options. You can pick many of them. But none seem to work. We never seem to consider the idea that we can't attain peace on this earth through our own efforts. It's not possible. Peace on earth doesn't exist. We need to stop looking for it on earth. We need peace, we want peace, but we never find it. And we realize that there's no self-help cure, no magic pill, no answers in the bottle. We start feeling the pressure and the weight of our circumstances. It gets too heavy. And we become like the overwhelmed person on the bench press holding too much weight that we weren't meant to hold and just praying that somebody will come and spot you to help carry some of the weight. Now, maybe you just barely got here today. Maybe you're just barely holding the bar up. Feels like it's crushing you. If that's you, I have good news for you. Jesus has a message for you today. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. In other words, take my, take my load upon you and learn from me for I'm gentle and low in heart and you'll find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, I don't know what weight you're carrying I don't know how much it's crushing you, but I know Jesus is your spotter. We need to cry out him before the weight crushes us. Jesus said, there's no weight that's gonna be on you that I can't help you lift. But we have to get real and understand one key point. Peace is an illusion on earth among fallen people. Peace is an illusion on earth among fallen people. It's a mirage. 
In a sin-fallen world, it doesn't exist. Since the fall, it has never existed. We have an internal desire for it, but no ability to satisfy our craving. So we just keep looking and experimenting and searching and hoping that somehow we'll all collectively come to world peace. We look for peace in our circumstances. We look horizontally at our relationships. We think we'll finally have peace when everybody just gets along, when there's no war and no conflict, and we dream about peace on earth. We dream about the day when all of our circumstances align, and there's no friction, and people seem to get along, and we dream of those days. And the reason is we've bought into the big lie. We think that we'll finally have peace when we have everything under control. We try really hard to balance all the balls in our life, to cover all the possibilities, to make sure we control everything or at least limit the damage of what could happen to us. But the lie that we believe is that we actually have the ability to control anything. You have never been and never will be in control of anything outside the will of God. When I finally accepted that, my world just opened up. Nothing can happen to me that God says, not okay. God's got this. I don't need to try to be God. I'm not in control, never have been. I think I'll just sit back and let him do it. He's really good at it. We keep hoping and dreaming that mankind will find peace in ourselves. We dream about it. We put stickers on our car, but on this earth, we have to dream about peace because we've really never seen it. And over the 31 years, 3,100 years of recorded world history, the world has only been at peace about 6% of the time or 286 years. During that time, over 8,000 treaties have been made and broken. During that period, there's been 14,531 wars, large and small, in which 3.64 billion people have been killed. Have you noticed there's something wrong with us? We can't get along. There's something inherently wrong with us. We don't play well with each other. We don't, and we never have. And we won't until the sin issue is addressed. In the 3,100 years of recorded history, we've never really been at peace with each other. And even when we were at peace, it was obviously temporary. Something's gonna happen. We become selfish. We become intoxicated with our success. We focus on ourselves and take advantage of the person around us. It's almost as if we were not designed to live in peace. Like something is wrong in this world. Like peace is some reason is desired by everybody, but just not possible. All we got to do is look at American history. We could narrow it down just to our country. As a nation, the U.S. has essentially never been at peace with anyone. Let me refresh our memories. In order, the Revolutionary War, the Franco-American War, the War of 1812, the Seminole Wars right here in Florida, the Mexican-American War, yay, Texas, the Slave Owners' War, the Civil Wars, the World War I, the one that was going to end all of them, World War II, our first nuclear effort on the planet, 
Korea, Bay of Pigs, Vietnam, first Gulf War, Panama, second Gulf War, War on Terror. That's not even to mention the Indian Wars, the Sioux, the Comanche, the Cheyenne, the Apache, the Cherokee, and the Spanish-American War. Then we have the less obvious wars, the Cold War, the Civil Rights War, the war against the unborn fetus, the drug wars, the mob wars, gang wars, political terrorism. We call ourselves one nation under God, but peace, not so much. I came across a quote that sums this up well better than I could. Listen to these words. We have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We've been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We've grown in numbers and wealth and power as no nation has ever grown. But we've forgotten God. We've forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we've become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace, too proud to pray to the God that made us. You know who said that? Any ideas? You know when it was said? Abraham Lincoln, 1860, won the year the Civil War started. He warned the nation, you've turned your back on God, wrath is coming. That war was unique. In the next five years, we would kill 850,000 Americans, twice as many as World War I, 10 times the number of Vietnam. Let's just say that peace has not really been our forte. We don't seem to have it in us. We desire it, but we never find it. Do you know what our problem is? Why we don't find peace? Because we believe it exists on earth. We think peace is something man creates. That man can make it happen. We look for peace horizontally, not realizing that peace is only found vertically. You see, our problem is not with each other. You might look at the world and go, y'all are fighting all the time. Y'all must really have a problem with each other. You must be at war with each other. Our primary problem is vertical with God. We're born into a sin state at war with God. That's the problem. In Ephesians, God says that we're dead in our sins. That by knowing Jesus, we're son, by, prior to knowing Jesus, we're sons of disobedience, led by Satan at war with God. And by nature, children of wrath. Just like all of mankind. We struggle with peace horizontally, peace with each other, because we're not at peace vertically, peace with God. Our sin has separated us from God. We're in conflict with God, and we have no ability to restore that relationship. Jesus was sent on a mission to bring peace to earth. He didn't come as a peacekeeper to tell everybody to simmer down. He never intended to try to bring world peace. He came to bring the peace of God from the throne of God. But not as a peacekeeper, but as a peacemaker. He brought the peace we lost in the garden. You see, his first mission to earth 
was to restore our relationship with God. To give us an opportunity to be at peace with God. The problem we have in our lives is we weren't at peace with God. By paying the price for our sins that separate us, Jesus brought into us into a relationship with God where we are at peace. He dealt with the sin issue. I come to bring you at peace with God. So let me highlight his mission a little bit. The prophet spoke of one who would come. Isaiah, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulder and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. The angels announced his birth, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he's pleased. On Palm Sunday, blesses the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Peace in heaven. Finally, peace with God. And then at the cross, Colossians 1.19, for in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile himself all things, whether on earth or heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Reconciling all things on earth and heaven, creating peace with God because of the blood on the cross. Jesus came on a mission so we could restore our relationship with the Father. On his first trip to earth, Jesus promised his peace, not world peace. His peace is supernatural. His peace is internal within believers. He specifically said he wasn't here to establish world peace. Do not think that I've come to bring peace to earth. That's pretty clear. I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. Do you see the key word? To the earth. I didn't come to bring peace among mankind. The message of Jesus divides us. On his first trip, the only peace he cares about is restoring our relationship with the Father. It's critical that we understand this. The message of Jesus was first and foremost fixing our relationship with the Father. Once we restore our relationship with the Father, once we get right with God, then and only then can we begin to live among each other in a way that is more honoring. Peace on earth will only come after everyone has restored their relationship with Christ through God's blood and received the Spirit of God. Believers can establish peace with God and experience the spiritual fruit of the peace of God. But as long as there's sin on the earth, there's not going to be peace on earth. There'll only be peace on earth when there's no sin on earth. Jesus came on a mission and even his disciples didn't fully understand what he was doing. Look at John 14. Well, I'm not going to put it up, but between John 14 and 16, Jesus tells his disciples, I'm going to be going away. And he's talking to his closest followers. It's one of the last conversations he'll have with them before the crucifixion. He does all that he can do to prepare them 
for what's about to happen. He wants to help them with the pressure, the stress they're about to feel that's going to be coming their way. He doesn't want them caught off guard. He tells them, I'm about to, you're about to suffer because of your faith in me. You're going to be hated. You're going to be persecuted. In other words, huge weights are about to fall on you. Bigger weights than you've ever imagined or seen. And it's in this context that Jesus makes two huge promises. First, he tells them he's going to leave. And then he says, but I'll never leave you alone. Imagine their anxiety. They've walked with him every day for three years. He had all the answers. He says, oh, by the way, I'm out of here. I'm Emmanuel. I'm God with you, but uh, I'm not going to be with you. At least not the way you're imagining. And the disciples had to look at each other and go, how can God be with us and not be with us? Who's going to calm the storm? Who's going to heal the sick? Who's going to take care of us? Jesus says he's leaving. They start to stress out. And he reassures them he's leaving, but they'll never be alone. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come for you, he says. And then he explains the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He'll teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. The helper, the Holy Spirit is coming to take care of you, Jesus says. I'm going away, but this is better. The Father will send the Spirit in my name. He'll teach you all things. He'll bring you gifts from heaven, supernatural gifts that will help you on your, your journey. You'll know the Spirit is in you and guiding you and leading you because you're going to find yourself doing God things that you didn't know you could do with the gifts you didn't know you had. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Look specifically at the peace that Jesus offers to those who believe. He tells them, I've come down from heaven with heavenly things. I've come down from heaven into your life with things that come from heaven, things you can never get, receive, or find on earth. I'm gonna leave a few things with you, things that you didn't have before. Things that are from heaven and can only get here because I give them to you. He turns and he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled and neither let them be afraid. Jesus says, look, I'm going to leave my peace with you. I'm going away. Is it okay if I leave this here? I'll be back. But I want to leave my, my peace, not yours, not that peace you've been chasing, not that fake thing that never exists. True, real peace from the throne of God, I'm leaving it for you. And I'm not talking about the peace of the world. I'm not talking about giving you a gift in a worldly sense. I'm giving this to you spiritually. And because of that, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't let your hearts be troubled. You're going to have a lot of trouble, he says. But don't be troubled. He repeats it three times. You're going to have a lot of trouble. Just don't be troubled. 
You're going to have a lot of trouble, he says. Don't be troubled. How do you do that? Jesus says, look, your life's about to become miserable. They're going to come persecute you. They're going to do all kinds of things to you. It's going to be ugly. Don't be troubled about it. I'm leaving. Don't let that bother you. You'll have peace. You just won't have peacefulness. You'll have peace. You won't have peacefulness. Jesus says, look, I'm going to give you my peace. That doesn't mean there's not going to be pressure. It doesn't mean the circumstances are going to be wrinkle-free. You see, we get disappointed and disillusioned with God because we don't understand that truth. We hear Jesus say that he promises us his peace, and we think Jesus promises us a good doctor's report, a smooth and great marriage, great financial blessings, We translate Jesus saying, I give you my peace, to Jesus saying, I'm going to fix all your problems. Take away all your pressure. We think that now that we're Christians, Jesus is going to go ahead of us and work out all the details. When we think of peace, we think of our circumstances. Because we have falsely assumed that it's our circumstances that are our problem. And it's not. It's our relationship with the Father that's the problem. Jesus makes it very clear, there's going to be trouble. Don't be troubled. He promises us pressure and persecution, but he says, I give you my peace. So how do we find peace when the pressure's on? Well, let me define peace from a biblical perspective, and then we'll answer that. There are clearly times in the Bible when they talk about peace, and they're talking about world peace. Those passages are easy to understand. One nation establishes peace with another. It means we're not going to war. It's what I call horizontal peace, peace among each other. But often the scriptures teach us that peace in the context of our relationship with God, that vertical peace is defined as being in security with your relationship with God the natural fruit of the Spirit, knowing that you're okay with God and God's okay with you. That despite your sins and your shortcomings, you're no longer at war with the Father. Despite whatever's going on in your life, whatever circumstance you're dealing with, no matter how much pressure you're in, you and God are okay. Those circumstances can't touch this. You're no longer in a spiritual battle with Him. Jesus came and And he said, look, I'm going to restore the relationship. The Jewish people have a word for this. It's called shalom. When they say hello, when they say goodbye, when they offer one another a greeting, it's shalom. And shalom means peace. May you be at peace with God. May you feel the blessings of God. May you walk each day in step with God. May your relationship with the Father be perfect. He came to restore our relationship. Paul says it this way, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through our relationship with Jesus, we have peace with God. Biblical peace is awareness of the Holy Spirit that your sins have been paid for. It's recognizing, you wanna know if you have biblical peace? 
You want to know if you have found the peace with God? Ask yourself if you believe this verse with every ounce of your being. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When you embrace that verse, when you know in your heart of hearts and soul of souls that you are at shalom with God, that all is well, all is well spiritually. You're at peace with God, he's at peace with you. You can find rest in your relationship with God because it is well with your soul. Because of Jesus, we can be at total peace with the Father. We can know in the depths of our souls that there is no condemnation for us, that God is not trying to hurt us, punish us, or is disappointed in us. We can have total and absolute peace with God. Now, some believers not only have peace with God, but they experience the peace of God every day. It's not that they're special. It's not that they're extra blessed. It's not that they tithe more. It's not that they've impressed God more than other believers. It's not that God gave them extra peace. They don't have special knowledge. They're not intellectual geniuses. They don't have incredible human insight. But they have both peace with God and the peace of God in their lives for one reason and one reason only. They chose to abide with the Holy Spirit. And God promised that all, all, everyone, all, you know what that means in Hebrew and Greek? All. Every human ever born, every human on the planet, every human's ever walked on the planet who abide in him, all believers who have the Spirit and abide in the Holy Spirit, will experience the fruit of the Spirit. It's a guarantee. It's a promise from God. If you don't have the peace of God in your life that I'm talking about, there's either a problem in your relationship with Christ or you've chosen not to abide in Christ. Now, I'm not saying believers never have anxiety, never have worry. What I am saying, though, is that anxiety and worry are measures of your relationship with the Holy Spirit. That the more you're in tune with the Holy Spirit, the more he tones down those things in your life, the more peace he brings to you. If you want his peace, you gotta abide. It's that simple. If you're going through your circumstances right now and you don't know Jesus, you need to know Jesus. And when you find Jesus, if you want the peace he offers, you need to understand what it means to spend time with him, to trust him, to turn your life over to him and to quit trying to be your own God, controlling things you could never control. That circumstances and situations don't matter. They're just there. They called Jesus Emmanuel, God with us. It was a common theme in the Old Testament. God was with Adam and Eve. God was with Abraham. God was with Joseph. God was with Moses. God was with man. But once you leave the Gospels, once you get out of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you don't see God is with us anymore. You don't find mention of God being with us ever again in the Scriptures. From Genesis through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, God is with us everywhere. In the rest of the Bible, there's a prepositional change that happens that is easy to miss, and it's subtle, but it changes everything. After the Gospels, God is not with us. It's changed to God is in us. 
and we are in Christ. That may not seem like a big deal, but that's a big deal. Jesus said we won't be orphans. I don't know any feeling worse than being alone. I spend much of my day with people who are hurting, dying, suffering and pain, but to me, the one who suffers like none other is the one that's alone. It's a deep ache, a deep feeling. It's physical and overbearing. It's it's a weight all by itself. I think much of hell is just being alone. Jesus wants his followers to know you'll never be alone. You'll never go through anything alone. Many of us need to be reminded of this because many of us as Christians have received the gift of the Holy Spirit and yet we live as though he's not in us. Our lives don't look different. We try to go through things alone. For some, they've tried to re-gift the spiritual fruit, trying to make it something they have, they develop and they can bestow and give to other people. Spiritual gifts and spiritual fruit only come from one source. Holy Spirit of God. You never own them. You don't control them. You don't put them on display. God's not some trick pony under your command. So if someone says they can produce spiritual fruit or spiritual gifts on their own and give them to you, just run. Now, when Jesus says, I'll be with you, it's interesting. The Greek word for be with you really has this picture of I'm going to come alongside you. I'm going to come alongside you. We need to keep that in mind. No matter what circumstance we're in, he's gonna come alongside us. When the doctor says there's nothing left to do, he draws up alongside. When the cramping is a miscarriage, he draws up alongside. When your office is now packed into a box and you're unemployed, he draws up alongside. When the divorce papers are delivered, he draws up alongside. The Holy Spirit comes alongside with you. You don't understand it, you just experience it. Paul said it this way, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Peace with God followed by the peace of God. God's peace surpasses all understanding. You you can experience it, but you can't explain it. You can experience it, but you can't understand it. A peace that is so clearly supernatural, so not from you, it rises above your circumstances, your world. Your world could be in turmoil, and yet somehow inside, you just know you're at peace. Your mind is focused on him and not your problems. Psalmist tells us you keep in perfect peace he whose mind is focused on you. As long as we focus on God and not the temporary trouble of our lives, we remain at peace and our peace grows. If you ever try to explain it to somebody who's never experienced it, they think you're nuts. Everything the Holy Spirit does is folly to those that don't know the Spirit. They can't understand it, and worse, they can't stand it. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he'll teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I've said to you. The Holy Spirit's our guide. He teaches us what God wants in our lives. He reminds us of what God has said in his word. 
He leads us through our circumstances unless, well, unless we don't develop a relationship with him. Too many Christians try to manage everything on their own. The Holy Spirit is the forgotten God. They haven't prioritized their time with the Spirit. Their roots are not deep. There's still weeds they haven't dealt with. There's, Jesus said, look, it's better to have the Holy Spirit in you than to have me right next to you. But you got to yield to the Spirit. you got to surrender to what the Spirit wants to do. Listen to what Isaiah says. Oh, that you had paid attention to my commandments. Then your peace would have been like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. Jesus gave us a guide, a cheerleader, a coach. When you're weary, someone to show you the way. No one climbs Mount Everest without help. They have a team, they have a guide. Could you imagine climbing Mount Everest with a guide that you never talked to? Just there. Yeah, he's my helper. He has all the answers, but you never ask. He wants to reassure you, encourage you, empower you, but you're really not interested. How crazy would that be? And yet that's how many decide to live their spiritual life. Now, I don't know what circumstance threatens you today. I don't know what weight you're under. I don't know how much pressure is on you. But what I do know is that Jesus died so that we could have peace, no matter what circumstance you're in. He died so that your relationship with God could be restored. He died so the Spirit of God would be in you and not just with you or around you. He died so you could face your troubles and not be troubled. Nothing can happen to you that trumps God or limits God's peace. If you know Jesus, no matter how heavy the weight, he is your spotter. He shares the weight of what you're going through. His yoke is easy and his burden is light, but we have to turn to him. Jesus was the original peace out. He left his peace and he went to heaven. He was called the Prince of Peace. He came into the world with a promise of peace and he left the world with a legacy of peace. His first visit to earth brings peace from God, but left wars with men. His next return to earth will bring war with God and peace to men. He prayed for peace and then he paid for peace. He offers the peace of God because he offers peace with God. He brings a peace the world has never seen to reveal a God that the world needs to see. My peace I give to you, he says, not as the world gives. Let not your heart be troubled. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the spiritual gift of peace. I thank you, God, for the way that you love us, the way you care for us. I thank you, God, that you know every circumstance that we're ever going to know. Thank you, God, that you walk with us. You come alongside us, no matter how dark, no matter how 
oppressive, no matter how scary, no matter how afraid. As David said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thy are with me. God, help us to know that you're with us. Every moment, every day, until you return. Help us, God, if we are worrying or trying to be in control, to let go of something we were never meant to carry. So God, I pray for all of us that we would find your peace through surrender. Not through our efforts, through surrender. We surrender and your peace floods us. God, may we walk in peace. May we always be at shalom with you. We love you, we thank you, and we ask it all in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.